Hey, Andrew. Hey, Brian. You know what's a big deal? What's a big deal? Pickles. Dill pickles. How about some habanero dill chips? That sounds pretty fantastic. You know who has some good ones is our buddies, Texas Pickle Company. Uh, Tom and Jessica Walden started this company in Sugarland, Texas, a local Houston suburb, in 2014. And they're making some of the best pickles that I've ever had. I mean, seven years is, is a long time to really develop your pickles and get them out. They're great pickles, uh, as you mentioned, the habanero dill chip. Hey, I also relish the thought of all the kinds of great stuff that Tom is doing. Along with those habanero dills, he's got a, a regular dill as well. Yes, and, and they're really developing some new products and they have some exciting things coming out. And this is, guys, this is a product we've been talking about for a long time. It's one of our favorite condiments and barbecue helps break up the, you know, the fat, fatty richness of barbecue. And we've been just a big fan of their product for a long, long time. You should really go and check out our episode with Tom and Jessica from Texas Pickle Company. They're doing great stuff and their products available in multiple places around Houston. And you can get those at Dozier's, Houston Area of Total and Wine. Phoenicia Fine Foods. Central Market locations everywhere. Yeah, and you can reach out to them at a Texas Pickle on social media to uh, to connect with them and get some of their pickles or check out simplytx.com. Again, that's simplytx.com and reach out to them at a Texas Pickle. And when you see them in the store, pick up those jars and look at it because you can see the quality right in the jar. Barbecue's our passion, and that's just what you'll get Where the Ken Burns is a barbecue where tales from the pits Howdy, welcome to another episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian. And Andrew. And today we're in the small but lovely little town of Seguin, Texas, and we're here with... Ernest Cervantes. David Kirkland. And you guys are with Burnt Bean Company. Burnt Bean Company, uh new barbecue venture here in Seguin area but uh this is not your your first foray into barbecue Ernest we know that for sure how did before we get into how this partnership came up let's talk a little bit about uh both of your early memories of eating barbecue or cooking barbecue um let's start off Ernest did you grow up in Texas or what area did you grow up yeah I grew up in uh Uvalde Texas and uh you know eating my dad's barbecue but you know my dad barbecued you know the basics but there was one guy that was like the brisket king in in Uvalde and it was uh, Fred's Grocery Store. And this place was like a one-stop shop in the west side of the Barrios of Uvalde. And, you, you know, you got worms, you got, you know, you got uh, live minnows, you can get a slice of bologna, and he had brisket. And, uh, you know, it was a little convenience store, and it, it smelled like a bar because the guy would drink and smoke <laughs> in his own place. But uh, we always, I'll always have me- great memories of seeing he had a huge old-school cabinet smoker. And for a kid that's never seen that before, it was just, it was, uh, it's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, it was a typical, you know, had it under heat lamps, he had sausage and he had chicken. And I would think uh, mesquite cooked out in the uh, Yeah, it was mesquite. Yeah. Everything down in South Texas was indigenous. So, um, you know, I never started cooking with post oak until I moved to this area. But, um, yeah, it was all, it was all mesquite cooked. I, I'm actually trying to think of what else did he cook. I remember it was sausage, chicken, and brisket. And I remember everybody would, you know, it was Easter someone's birthday they would take you know you go buy a brisket and he cook it for you like for 10 bucks or something like that and uh yeah mr fred that fred diaz but um yeah those are my earliest memories. then my dad my dad got i i think as as i got, got older my dad got more and more in detail with with brisket but he did it old school and he, he was very smart he uh i always remember he was he was different than fred fred would just throw logs in there my dad actually burned the coal burned it to coals and then he would shovel it in there, so he didn't like the, the, the real pungent flavor or the creosote from the mesquite. 
So um, mesquite's really hard to, right, to cook with. Yeah. Right. You know, it has a high, a high tar level. You know, it's one of those kind of briskets that you burp up for five days, <laughs> and uh, it's just because that's what it was. But you know, back in the day, no one really knew. Sometimes we would hear about pecan, but it was mostly nothing but mesquite. So um, yeah, those are my fondest memories. And, and Uvalde has become somewhat famous for pit building out there with the, the oil companies. I know there's right. Lifetime uh, with the oil pipe out there. Uh, and it was interesting that you said that he was using a, a cabinet smoker. Mm-hmm. Um, as you were growing up, did you ever cook on any any pipe-based or, oh, or yeah. pit oh, offset yeah. style? In, in Uvalde, you had either you had two brands. It's kind of like the Hatfields and McCoys. But, uh, you know, Uvalde had two very famous pit builders. One was Lifetime, the other was Longhorn. And I would see those at... You know, now back in the day, you see them at Bucky's, but even before that, we would hear how they would go to Houston and, and, and Dallas and even out of the state. And, you know, they were proud builders of Uvalde. So you either had one or the guys that worked there would make, you know, on the side. And, you know, it was a typical offset, you know, 48 inch, and then it had the, the vertical. The vertical stack. Right. And, yeah. and, and I, you know, everybody in, and in Uvalde, some of them would have a handle on the side of that vertical stack and they would put coals and they would put you know they would put chickens and stuff on there and make another coal so you had like really three different chambers but um yeah everybody had the vertical stack and i wanted one that's actually the first pit i ever owned per se uh when i moved to my new house when i got married <clears throat> was a lifetime with that vertical i wanted that everybody you know having that vertical was where it was at and uh, i remember we, we we had roll it in there like you know like the egyptians you know, with a, with some two by sixes, <laughs> you know, and, and you promise everybody beer and, and, and barbecue afterwards. But that's what set this whole thing in motion uh, with that lifetime pit. And I remember they put they put it in the back of my truck with a forklift, and my wife's like, I was so excited. I even think about it. my wife's like, How are you gonna get this thing down? <laughs> and I'm like, Man, I totally forgot about that. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was my first pit, true pit besides barrels. And, um, and barrels were really popular in, oh, in yeah, Texas. Still are. I, still, I still think they cook some of the best chicken you'll ever have on their lake quarters or half chickens or fajitas. It's just old school barrel, you know. And, and when we're talking about, we're not talking about like the ugly drum barrel, okay. the upright, we're talking the about horizontal, the horizontal yeah. barrel. Yeah. yeah. Was some, if they were, those barrels were pretty thin, though, too. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It didn't last very they long. They don't last very long. Yeah. It don't run them too hot either. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Doesn't matter. And, and David, how about you? Where did I get started? I would say about 10 years ago, um, my brother asked me to compete because at home I just cook on a Weber or, you know, at the stove, no, no, nothing fancy like Mr. Chef here. But uh, my brother asked me to do a competition and I said, sure, what can go wrong? You know, it's just smoking some meat, no big deal. So I borrowed a pit from a buddy of mine and I cooked a brisket at the house and um, knowing nothing about brisket. Well, most of the competition guys don't either. A- absolutely. No, I mean like <laughs> Most nothing. meaning the bottom half, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> like um, it was 165 degrees internal temp, so I thought it was well done. <laughs> That's how nothing I knew about brisket. And uh, we went to this cook-off, and my brother was pretty good on ribs, so we entered our meats, and, of course, my brisket was a disaster, and, and his ribs were very edible. And we got a fifth-place call in ribs, and I was like, Oh my gosh, we're good. You know, we need to we need to start doing this all the time. And so, from that point on, I kind of my, my brother actually knew Ernest before I knew Ernest, and he actually introduced us. And uh, from that point on, I kind of got really intrigued with how to do it because I'm a perfectionist, so I always want to know how to do everything in the best way to possibly do it. So, 
the next competition we did, I asked a lot of questions, read a lot of stuff, and um, haven't quite talked to Ernest yet, um, other than just friendly stuff. But over the years, um, trying and trying and trying, I started slowly figuring out how to actually barbecue. And then with his help, Ernest's help, I actually started to perfect the brisket, not perfect, but started to be very edible and then very good. And then I'd get some walks and some calls and, and uh, you know, several competitions we would go to, Ernest would be next to me and he would mentor me. And, and uh, we always joke about it because he helped me a lot. And, and one particular time we were doing chicken and uh, he said, just follow my method here, but you do whatever you want to do with your chicken. I said, okay. So I just kind of tagged along and, and we had two pits side by side and I was just copying him the whole time. And, and we go to the awards and, and uh, I believe you got fifth place, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. Fifth place in chicken and then I got a third place call. And I had no idea how I got a third place call, but I did. And, and from that moment on, it was like, okay, chef, you got to teach me everything you know because I really care and I want to learn and and he's like no problem you know anytime so from then on we kind of you know just next to each other competed and uh, or I helped him filled in for him whatever and yeah. that's basically where all my stuff came from yeah I think our relationship has developed in the what past 10 years maybe nine yeah, about nine, yeah it's been about you know, you know, nine, ten some years. of the most memorable occasions that's ever happened to me my first perfect score in KCBS you know he was my partner and we went nuts. Yeah, we did. We thought <laughs> we know, were like Rocky at yeah. the top of the steps or something. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. So a lot of our great moments, um, you know, some of my special moments is always, he was always been here. So when we started this whole pop-up things and we wanted to, you know, I told him I wanted, I was really tired of competition barbecue. I, I got to the point where, I can't believe I'm saying this on air, but I got disgusted with competition barbecue. I didn't really think the purity was there. You know, it's more of uh I call it uh, the Kardashian of barbecue because it's you get something so beautiful as a great piece of meat like a Snake River Farms Wagyu or an A9, a- a- and then you cosmetically enhance it, and it's not the same person. Yeah. Like chicken thighs. Yeah, and chicken thighs. Just, or we did half chickens, and you know from injections and and uh, you know uh, 15 layers of sauce. So- I mean uh, uh, seasonings and then sauces, and it wasn't the same. And I, I didn't know any better because one, I was, it was so focused on uh, competition barbecue, but you know, I, me hanging out with Robert Lerma, uh, we, we developed that great friendship and you know, we went all over, you know, I went everywhere with him to have barbecue. But while I was having that, I was, I was appreciating more the purity of, of, of the more of a challenge I thought. You know, I think with uh, my, my philosophy on, on competition barbecue is, one is you can always hide your flaws and two, um, it's not really barbecue, in, in my opinion. You know, it's a, a one-bite cheesecake type of thing, and you're trying to impress judges of what barbecue should be, and it's not. And, and you know, uh, Lerma opened my eyes because we went to so many great places and simple places that uh, barbecue, that was true barbecue. And, and it's a lot, and it's funny because the most simplistic barbecues come some of the hardest to cook because it's hard to perfect it because there, there's zero line for error. You, know, you screw up a brisket, oh, we'll just put more au jus on it, throw more barbecue sauce and put it in the box. This one, you screwed up, you screwed up. And uh, so I, I, I got to the point in my competition career was like, I, I literally won everything I wanted. Uh, I, I, all my goals were set within the first three years. I had a 10-year plan. 
Uh, I won everything I won in the first three years. Uh, you know, you want to be the best in your town. You want to be the best in the area. Then when you become the best in Texas, it's like, okay, now what? And we went across the country. And we won from New York all the way down to California. And, uh, you know, then people challenged me to be on TV. And I did that. And I think that was more of a, I did that. I did that. A lot of people will say, you know, why did you do it? I'm not a big TV guy. You know, I got lucky, first of all, when I got on Chopped. I don't even know how I got into the show Chopped. But I think what, what won it uh, for me to get on Chopped is they're like, all right, we're taking 16 and there's 20 of y'all. What, you know, what what makes you want, why should we put you on the show? It's typical, you know, producer stuff. And I said, you know, excuse my French. And I said, I don't give a shit if I make the show or not. I said, but you got to put someone from Texas. I said, I'm sick and tired of seeing these shows and you got someone from Jersey or you got someone there winning, <laughs> you know, a, a barbecue competition right. and this is a joke. Uh, there was you a know, recent one on Netflix where there wasn't a Texas competitor right. and, I'm, and like, I'm like, yeah, they never had Texas competitor. I said, either y'all are too scared or I don't know what the deal is and they loved it and they said, so if we gave you any grill, could you cook on it? I'm like, I don't give a shit what you do, excuse my language, but I can make a three course meal on a shovel. You know, that's how us Texas boys Some do people it. are. So, yeah, yeah. There, there are some farmhouse <laughs> yeah. artists and restaurants yeah. where you're literally... Yeah, yeah. well, I, it shovels. brings back memories. That's how my dad and I used to go to the ranch. And we go fishing or we shoot something like a rabbit. Or I always remember we used to uh, catch catfish. And he just cleaned the grill and we put the shovel on there. Or some ugly crate that was rusted. And, you know, he just burned the crap out of it. And we make a meal and we eat off of newspapers or whatever we had in the truck. It was a, some of the best memories of my dad is just grilling this food just to knock off the dust and and we eat it you know it was cool so that's why i told chop you know when the food network i said they loved it and literally that's what i did when i was on the show is we had to cook on crazy stuff and and uh you know i i thought i was a great inspiration for for texas cookers as well as us to finally get put on the map there wasn't really anybody at that time that was really winning from texas and i was an inspiration not only to the, the cooks of texas but you know all small town guys because i'm from a small town and there's a lot of people that have great ambition, but they're from small town. They get discouraged. So it was a lot of inspiration, and I got a lot of emails and, and letters from small schools and small hometowns saying, you know, you're the biggest inspiration that we needed. And uh, it was really cool. And that's the same thing we did with Competition Barbecue. Nowadays, you go see the competition cooks from Texas. <clears throat> they're all over the country. Back in the day, we, were, we liked to stay in our pond, and the pond was Texas. Why go out if we get better money here? And it's like, I, and I started venturing. I'm like, guys, we're way better than these guys. And they kind of, you know, started going out after I did. And I went to Georgia and Alabama and started winning. Like, hell, if Ernie can do it, we can do it. So, um, you know, a lot of guys like, dude, if it wasn't for you. So I knew my time in competition barbecue and TV barbecue and stuff was up. I was, honestly, I was burnt out. I was, uh, you know, you, you get challenged. And me being a chef, you want to be challenged. So, you know, I was talking to everybody and I was like, what's next? And it's like, you know, um, what was your, what was your dream? And my dream was to open a barbecue restaurant. And of course, everybody does what? Pop-ups. And that's where the whole meal skill came in. And I was like, and they're like, yeah, it's about a year and a half out. And I was like, well, so I started using my competition rigs and it just wasn't the same because those are built for hot and fast. And, um. What Talk kind of rigs were you using? Oh, man, you name it, I had it. <laughs> so, uh, the, the Jambos are pretty popular. Yeah, back Jambos, then, yeah. and then I had a Rockin' R, Rockin' W, Pit Maker. Um, man, a, J, a JP Pit. I've had, man, I've had drums. I've had 
Rectex, I've had everything. So we were cooking, and I told, you know, Dave, I was like, you know, we start cooking at home a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then um, I remembered Leonard had, a, from Truth, had a 500. I saw it when he went to Chicago. And I called, I was calling everybody. I called Robert here because I knew he was selling his Moper. Talked to him, he's like, man, I just sold it. And then Thanks I was looking, and, you know, I was like, um, you know, no one had a 500. And then I remembered Leonard had one. And um, I was like, dude, let me, I said, can I buy it from you? He's like, no, I'm not selling it. And, not selling. and I just was persistent. And uh, it's like, come pick it up. I'm like, all right. And we went to go eat there, Dave and I. And I'll always remember when we picked it up, we're like, holy cow, this thing is <laughs> huge. It's a monster. You know, for us, because, you know, we, we, uh, we, you know, we cook on a 30 by 60 or a 24 by 48 because we're strictly competition. It's just two ribs, one brisket. And either chicken thighs or pork butts, and it's that's it. You know, we're not used to dealing with wood that's bigger than 16 inches, uh, like eight inches. You know, and the yeah, sticks, chunks. Yeah. Now we're now we're dealing with 16 inch wood, and you know, it's a quarter. We're like, oh, we're gonna have to order. Yeah. A, we're gonna have to order a quarter. Yeah. We were like freaking out. It's like, it's like, man, I bought a half quarter. It costs like 150 bucks. <laughs> this is crazy because we used to get sponsored by wood. So you know, when you're at the pinnacle, the best of the best, everything is given to you. Like, dude, just slap a sticker on your rig or, you know, they pay me. You know, I had some sponsors that paid me $50,000, $60,000 a year just to put their name up. So I went from the, the top of the mountain to literally back to pre-kinder. You know, I had a, this was a different world. Everybody knew who I was, but that didn't mean crap in this side. You know, this is the dark side. So, uh, you know, with the Issa Wolves and the Leonards and the Grants and everybody else. So I, I, uh, I basically... You know, let's start. And uh, exactly. So, so when you, you know, it's an interesting point about sponsorship um, versus restaurant ownership. I mean, why do you think there's such a difference? That is, is it just that there's some kind of fervid fan base of competition that they've they've built up that that buys into all of that? I mean, it's interesting because there's a lot of money, and I, and I was joking earlier about the 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 bottom half doesn't know anything. The top half, and especially the, the top 10, 20%, is incredibly competitive. It's incredibly skilled people. Um, but, but I do find it interesting because it's, it's not quite NASCAR level, but tons of sponsorships for, for competition cooking. Oh, yeah. Um, it seems to be very lucrative if you're successful in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I was making good money. Like, really, I was making almost close to doubling what I used to make in my salary in my job. Um, it's was, it was, it was great money. And... Uh, we, you know, use my products, here's some money. Uh, most of them, I'd say about 70%, I'd actually use because it was, you know, actually worked. But, um, you know, it was really cool at the time. I was very influential in the competition world and that's nationally recognized. But, you know, going to this, this, this realm, it's a different story. You know, now I went from going against some of the heavy hitters of America, going, now I'm going against, I wouldn't say going against because at the end of the day, I really, when I got into this thing, I wasn't going against anybody. Like right now, I'm not going against anybody. My goal is how to make the perfect barbecue. Yeah, we're and just I going love against that. ourselves, really. And people say, why the perfect barbecue? I said, because if I make great barbecue, if I hit it, I'll be, eh, it's good. Then be complacent. Perfect barbecue is never, it's the holy grail. And I'll never get that. that that's what drives me. Because every day you can improve. Every day you can find something to make it better. Now we're, we weren't tweaking here. We're not tweaking anymore. We're splitting hairs right you know we've gotten to the point where we can we know how to just like that's the you know people ask 
you know, even Daniel Vaughn asked, you know, what's the difference between competition barbecue, or let me rephrase it, what are you bringing in from competition barbecue to your barbecue now, restaurant barbecue? And it's two things. The, the attention to detail, I mean, how the presentation you put on a plate, how you slice your briskets, all that stuff. And second is understanding the weather. A lot of guys don't understand that. Brisket cooks different with humidity. A brisket's gonna cook different when it's cold. Usually a brisket's gonna cook different when it's hot. And a brisket's gonna cook when there's it's stagnant. And you have to adjust. It's not just throwing them in there. It's not just throwing the fire and set, set it at 250 and I'll set it and forget it. I'll pick it up and you know, I won't open it up. No, there's a lot more. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's more of a variation. There's more of a science. And that's the, the understanding that people don't understand. Um, you know, when, when I was, you know, teaching Dave how to cook, there was, you know, he picked it up so quick. But, you know, you get to the, the Mr. Miyagi, once you hit that, then you get to the whatever that guy was on Kill Bill with the long beard. <laughs> you get to that, and then you get to the master, like Master Ep, you know. There's different levels, and he's up here now, and, and it gets to the point where, ask him you know he he understood but i was telling him all right now you're gonna, now we got to start not worrying about the times now we're not looking about the look now you got to worry about the smell there's a smell there's a i can look at it and tell you exactly what temperature is and he, he he'd be like bullshit i'm like touch it and i'll touch it at 195 he's like no it's not i just checked it and he's like holy crap or we'd be at the house now you can't really smoke it here but at the house we wouldn't i could smell it he, you know, we temp it, and we wanted it, let's just say we wanted it at 200, and we just tempted like 15 minutes ago, and it was at 195, and I smell it, and I'm like, it's ready, and he's like, what do you mean it's ready? I'm like, Tate, holy shit, you're right, and I said, that's where you get to that level. It's, it goes from, everybody says, it's not about temperatures, it's about the what, the feel. Yeah, but now it's, it's about the smell. There's a smell a brisket makes when it's ready, and there's a smell when the brisket is when it, and it's ready to, to slice, okay? There's a difference between when you pull it off and when you slice it. There's a difference when you can go into a restaurant, I, can, it's, it's, I don't know if that's just the, the, the rain man in me or what, but <laughs> I can go to a restaurant and tell you exactly how the briskets are gonna taste and how they're gonna feel texturally wise. I know that sounds weird or something. I, that's how, and that's the same thing with pork ribs and that's the same thing, not so much with pork butt, but uh, with ribs and sausage and everything, I can tell you by smell. And a lot of people don't pick that up. There's certain people, I know Aaron has that, that kind of thing. And, and a, a quick story to add to that, just, just last night I was on the phone with my wife and it was getting close to briskets being done and I walked out to my truck and um, I was standing there talking to her and I said, oh, I'm gonna have to let you go. And she goes, what's wrong? I said, there's a couple of briskets ready, I could smell them and I was standing out in the street. And she goes, what? I said, there's a totally different aroma that a brisket puts off when it's done. I learned it from yeah. you. And uh, she says, "You're whatever, you're crazy. I said, okay, whatever. And I went inside and there were several of them that were just ready to come off. So he's he's right, there is a yeah. smell. And, and it's uh, a it's lot it's of all things. It's about the same. Yeah, man. And, and that's, that's the, the obsession I have is that ever since I was a little kid, I didn't, I didn't care how the remote control worked. I wanted to see what, how it worked. And that's how I am with everything I do in life, is I don't care what it looks like. I want to know why. And a lot of people don't realize that. You know, there's a lot of great cooks out there, and there's some other cooks that just want to know why. And we purposely do things on purpose. It's kind of sad, but on Thursdays and Fridays, we call it our experimental day. We'll go try things 
and and it's still good barbecue. Fun. But days. we'll but we'll test each other and say, okay, see what happens when we do this. See what happens when we do that. And it's funny because you know even when you hold them in there, okay, temperatures, okay, all that stuff. So we're splitting hairs here. Um, and I'm uh, you know I always tell people my obsession led to my passion. And and that's that's trying to find the holy grail of barbecue. And I hope I never find it because the day I find it, then it's the day I close these doors. Well, because. Well, you know, one question I want to go back a little bit to what we were talking about is, as you you saying, you know, you're retiring of the competition world, uh, you're hanging out with Lerma, going to these different barbecue places. Was there a place or a couple of places in particular that really kind of gave you that? Okay, this is this is a different world. This is different from what I've been doing. Is there anything that really inspired you or re- really kind of set off some of those alarm bells for you? You know, yeah, there is, but you know, it's kind of cheesy because at the times, even when I'm a competition barbecue, I rank one of the best in Texas. My favorite barbecue was Rudy's. You know, my favorite barbecue was Rudy's. I remember the first time I went to Hayes County Barbecue. I was floored. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is some of the best barbecue I ever had in my life. And Michael and Austin had great people. Yeah, too. and then yeah. Mike Hernandez and his wife and, and his son, too. Great people. And then you got Jesse over there. And I was like, man. And, you know, Robert Sierra and I would always meet there. And because he lived, like, across the interstate. But anyways, I was floored. I was like, wow. And then... Got to meet Lerma, and then you know he hung out with his cookoffs. But it's like, man, you got to come with me to these places, and, and we started going to different places. And you got to remember, my standards were back in the day was Rudy's, Kreitz, Smitty's, Blacks, and Luling, because I just stayed here. But but there back there, then there yes. wasn't a whole lot. More. There was those really were the standards for pre right. for and, Texas. And, yeah, and and I and you depends on where you're gonna go. You know, on Sundays I'd go to you know Smitty's because they had the prime rib, and you know they had the pork chop, and they yeah. had. You know, um, you know the sausage. We were we were talking about that prime rib today. Um, we haven't had it yet. Yeah, it's great stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's what you. That's all you know. That's all you know. And then a couple of years, you heard of this place called. I always remember. Uh, Sierra said, "Hey, man, we're going to go to this place called La Barbecue, and it's made. It's, it's run by Mueller and his sister." And I'm like, "Who are those people?" And he's like. No man, you gotta you gotta go there. I'm like, all right, cool, let's go. And I always remember, I was like, wow, this smells great. And uh, John and I think his sister, Leanne, yeah, and, Leanne, and Allie and, as well, and Allie. Yep. And I remember, I ordered. I kid you not, ordered. Uh, let me. I didn't know how to order. I've never ordered, you know, that kind of barbecue because back in the day we'd order a pound and we all share it. So I was like, man, it's just for me. And they recommended, you know, a quarter pound, third pound. I say, okay, let me have a slice of turkey. Let me have one sausage. Let me have a slice of brisket. They're like leaner moist. I'm like, what? <laughs> or leaner fatty. I was like, what? And I was like, uh, whatever you think. And they gave me a slice. Uh, or beans. I always remember they had those really clay. I call it clay beans because they had a real rich red flavor. And that that barbecue sauce Mueller always did. Man, that little thin one. It was really good. And then I was like, they're like anything else. I'm like, oh my god, let me have one of those beef ribs. First time <laughs> I ever saw one of those. And the lady's like, sixty-three dollars. And I was like. No, no, I'm not paying for Sierra. No, they're like, no, that's yours. <laughs> and I looked at them with the most, this shit better be good face. Because I was never, I've never paid $63 for barbecue. I didn't even know what the hell that was. And this is when they were off, what, Congress? Yeah. Like, way back there on the left side, if you're driving in like yeah. that, it had the little thing. And, and Oh, yeah, the little it, spot over right, on South Right, right there yeah, on the picnic yeah. tables. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and mm-hmm. I was like, Sierra's like, man, he goes. Yeah, John was there. It was right before John Lewis. Yeah. And, yeah. John, yeah. yeah. The next time I went, it was John Lewis. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. So, you know, and then, and then John came out, and 
talked to us, and I didn't know who he was. And he was here, introduced me. I was like, okay, hi, nice to meet you, you know, blah, blah, And he goes, you know who that is? I'm like, no. And he told me the whole history. I was like, oh, okay. You know, I didn't know who he was. Now I know who he is. But anyways, I ate that barbecue, and always remember, I don't know what's going on with my body, but if my body loves something eating-wise, my ears ring. Always remember the first time. You know what that's called, right? That's the magic tingle. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I remember Darren Worst from Iowa Smokey D's rib. I had it at at the Houston Rodeo. I've been into that rib, and I I, I kid you not, I had tunnel vision. I was like, my ears were ringing. I was like, this is probably the best rib I've ever had in my life. And we're in Champions Row. This is the best of the best of the world champion. That rib won first place world champion. So, you know, back up to that, that, that brisket. And back up to that. Uh, and, of course, me, naturally, what do I do? Douse it in barbecue sauce. <laughs> and I, I kid you not, I was moving the barbecue. Even though it seeped in the meat, I was like, this, I need just want the meat. Because I would always put in, you know, your typical, you know, uh, jalapeno or pickles and, and uh, white bread. And I was like, I took that shit off. And I was like, wow, I've never had barbecue like this in my life. And that's when my life changed. And now I, then I started going into... Um, you know, different places, and there still wasn't that much crap barbecue back in the day. No, that was back in like you 2011 know, yeah. or somewhere you know, around maybe there. Maybe Aaron's yeah. was starting to come around, you know, and you know Franklin's and, and and things like that. But there was nothing until uh, you know ate there here and there. But uh, and then my next one was when uh, La Barbecue moved off Chavez, and uh, that's where I met Isabel. And uh, that was after. Well, Lewis and SL were there for a while together. Yeah, and then John kind of yeah, he John started Lewis moving to kind Charleston. Of and, yeah. Yeah. and uh, that's exactly because I, I remember because John Lewis just moved to South Carolina mm-hmm. and he said, Well, was running the pits. And then there was a guy, he's like, Hey, man, I want you to meet someone. I'm like, oh, he's, a, he's a new guy. His name's Dylan. I was like, Hey, what's going on? He's a really cool cat. You know? He's hey, like 12 up? years old. Yeah. <laughs> he was a young kid, you know? And uh, I said, like, Hey, what's up? But that's another story. But he's a was cranking out some gangster barbecue. And then, uh, then, you know, that's when, you know, Lerma started getting very famous with his photography. And he's like, dude, I want to take you to this place. This is fast forward a couple of years. And uh, he goes, Why don't you, we're going to go to this place in Brenham. And I'm like, what's his name? He's like, they call him Leo or Leonard. I think he was, I don't even know if they call him Leonard. They call him something else. Jody. Jody. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah the, fir- him, the first yeah. time, the first time Leonard met him, he, he went under a different name. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, all right, cool. There was a couple of people in line. It wasn't that big of a line. And then there's this short little dude with a beard. His back, his hat looks backwards. He kind of looked like a hipster. He was in the tiny, witness protection program. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> tiny, tiny little place, odd little name. Um, my first visit, I thought, I thought maybe it was somebody that was like a born-again Christian or something. I didn't understand the name Truth. And mm-hmm. it was just like out of, out of nowhere when, when they first came on the yeah, scene. Yeah, you know, and then on the drive up there, you know, it was me, Lerma, and Sierra, and, and Lerma's like giving us a story about this cat. He's like, dude, this guy was a medical, was going to be a medical student, going to go be a doctor, but his parents had restaurants. Lerma and, read your blog, Brian. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, so blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I'll always remember, you know, he's cutting our, he's cutting our brisket, and no one's ever given me a, you know, burning. And he's like, what's up, man? I'm like, hey, what's going on, dude? And um, he gives it to me. And they're, again, ears ring. And I'm like, holy cow. But those weren't the words. I was like, this is the best barbecue ever. And then the ribs were phenomenal. And then I had all the sides, but the collard greens, I'll always remember because I love collard greens. (laughs) 
but I was like, these are good. Even even the pickles back then. Yeah, and then yeah, because yeah, one never, of the first places. Right, they had their own. Thiefers, right, their own making early, pickles yeah. and stuff. So I was like, wow, man, this guy's gangster. And I like him. And then we became really good friends. And that was my standard for the best barbecue in Texas. And I'll tell you right now on, on tape, it's still today the best barbecue I ever had in Texas. Um, and what makes his – okay, let me back up. What makes Truth's barbecue the best in Texas, in my opinion, is because he hits you with every which way possible. You go to barbecue, George's like, yeah, the brisket's good, but everything else sucks. Or, yeah, the, the food's good, but the sides suck. Dude, the meats. Yeah. Well, the it goes sides. back to what you talked about, the attention to detail right. to everything that it's goes on. It's an experience. Yeah. This is the first time you ever had an experience yeah. with barbecue. And then his mom throws those cakes. <laughs> and his mom, I remember, well, those later down, I'll always remember that one time. She's like, hey, Ernie. I'm like, how you doing? Michelle, and she's like, I got something for you. When mama says she got yes. something for you, and she comes back with a homemade fried pie with cherry cherry fried pie. I remember those. Yes. Yeah. those and she came from the back. It was piping hot. And then a <laughs> scoop of vanilla ice cream. From Bluebell, just down the road. Jesus, I was like, if I was in prison and I was gonna get death sentence, and that was my last meal, I'd just take that pie. But that was my first time I ever went to a place where I didn't have. And, and me being a chef, I've had, I've gone to numerous restaurants, Michelin's and all that. That I had experiences. I want people to have experiences, and that was my first experience in barbecue. Where it was just, I, I, I remember I had. It was so good. I brought two slices of pie and no, two cakes. It was, one was uh, confetti and the other was strawberry. Oh my god, though, that was good. Andrew's and is the banana caramel. The banana caramel. I mean, oh, everyone I has their own. Yeah, oh, yeah, the banana yeah. caramel is phenomenal. No, the like, strawberry yeah. was mine. But um, you know, and I took him with me one time. I was like, I took then I took my wife and kids. But I was like, this is my the best barbecue. And still today, um, truth is the standard of what I think and I've been to a lot of places and there's no offense to a lot of the places I've been to don't get me wrong they're all phenomenal well that's really like 2015 what 2016 when when truth was starting to come up and you're starting to see more of those full menu experiences and yeah. barbecue Killens Killens Kill- was hitting on all yeah. cylinders yeah. Yeah. Killens, Killens was then paying attention to the full menu yeah. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. a left left hook on that one too yeah I mean barbecue obviously it started meat market and sides were not really a thing you know it was if you had something it was the tub of potato salad that was sitting there in the market but we're seeing now as more chef minds are getting into barbecue and not even just people that have culinary backgrounds but you know like said leonard doesn't have a culinary background he grew up in a family in a family that had restaurants right. but you know it's like he, did, he didn't go to culinary school or anything like that but it's thinking about that entire experience and then you know he he really expanded on it in houston as well when he when he thought about all the details of the building and everything that went into the truth houston location and that kind of brings me to to where we are here and now and what you guys are building here and what you've already built here is is kind of a similar feel to us in terms of the detail that's gone into not just not, you know where this place is right in the middle of a town square which we think is amazing I mean, I'm, I, I'm such a fan of of the um, the county courthouses mm-hmm. you can see the county courthouse from where we're sitting right here mm-hmm. and it just it just and the aesthetics of I mean the little carving and everything I just love that there's statues and and parks right across oh, yeah. the street um, but the building itself, you put a tremendous amount of attention into um, into the details, the flow. Um, anything you want to talk, uh, there's a few things I want to point out, but anything you want to talk about about this building in the process? Uh, this used to be an old bakery, uh, burned down. So if you look at the walls up straight up, there's still soot and stuff like that on there. So, um, you know, um, 
Yeah, there's you yeah. see the soot and the burnt way it was. You really see that corner. I don't know if you can see that way up there. Oh yeah, yeah. You yeah can. So uh, it was really cool to to get. Uh, we were really lucky to get this building. Um, you know, we worked our way. We're still, you know, we're, we're building a, a kitchen right now and and stuff like that. We knew when we did our pop-ups here, we knew this was home. And you know, everything, everything that we have done has been with, through fate. Um, everything was fate. And and uh, I, like I met Dave was fate. You know, uh, we did pop-ups. He wanted to be on board with me, so that was fate. Uh, COVID happened. That was the biggest blessing that I could have ever got because honestly, I don't think I would have had the the notoriety that I have now if it wasn't for COVID because what COVID did was put everything on pause and we started doing uh, underground uh, carry out and we would sell briskets, whole briskets or you know rib package with rib and chicken every weekend and what that was doing was us first learning how to cook on a big stick burner which is the 500 and then second honing our skills in, in the brisket and the ribs and everything so when uh, we did that from March it happened when they shut down so May from May to September by then we had a cult following people thought I was selling drugs out of my house because <laughs> there was cars lined up it was like dude everybody's coming in leaving with a package that's where I started experimenting hey maybe I should do menudo and barbacoa smoke barbacoa or tatema I, 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 I want to I would love to talk to you one day about tatema uh, because what I do is tatema you know South Texas I think all the guys that are doing barbacoa it's called tatema a lot of people don't know that. If you look up the word tatema, it comes from Uvalde County, but barbacoa is cooked either in a hole or it's steamed. Right. Tatema, the word tatema is cooked with wood. Offset cookers. So all my cats that are doing this, is that we do barbacoa because it's a familiar word. And are, right, are you right. doing beef cheek? Or? Yeah. yeah. Beef so, cheek. And, and that's the other thing, right? That's the new style of right. barbacoa. Because yeah. growing up, my dad would put the cow's head, yeah. extra tongues. We, we've, we've been to know. Vera's a couple of times. Yeah, I right absolutely love, oh, yeah, I love that yeah. place. Oh, it's an yeah. amazing experience. Yeah. It's really cool. I love the smell after he's good. Yeah. It's an acquired smell. But, you know, people don't realize that they're making tatema. And that's what I'm doing. And if I put tatema on my board, no one would relate. I remember, and I'll tell you a quick story. I remember when I went to college, and my, my roommate, we were working at Chili's. He's like, we, we went to school and across the street to get some tacos. He goes, do you want a taco? I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. He goes, do you want a barbacoa taco? I'm like, what the hell's barbacoa? He goes, you're telling me you're from South Texas, you don't know what barbacoa is? I'm like, no. He goes, you gotta be kidding me. I'm like, no. So he brought me a barbacoa and I bit. I'm like, wait, this is tatema. He goes, no, this isn't tatema, this is barbacoa. Well, those two things I didn't realize. I learned my first week in college. One was what a kolache was, <laughs> and two was barbacoa. And, and technically, yeah. that's not a kolache. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, oh, it's yeah. a clobus well, snack. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Whole thing. yeah. Let's yeah. go down the clobus snack. <laughs> that's another, that's yeah, another yeah. story. But right. Those are the two <laughs> things I never heard about before, so I was just blown away. And I told my dad, "Yeah, Dad, I have this thing called barbacoa." He's like, "What the hell is that?" I'm like, "It's not that but they call it barbacoa." He's like, "That's weird." And I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah. yeah I mean, it's just those regional words right. and terms and phrases. But if I mean, you look up the word tatema, it'll just say Uvalde County on there. But um, yeah, um. but it's it's interesting, and, and I like that you've brought some of that into Burnt Bean Company, into what you're doing here. Um, we unfortunately have not gotten any Sunday breakfast yet, but we will definitely be back for that. Yeah, you got to come. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, we're absolutely uh, coming. I pay for homage that. to Uvalde on that one, because growing up back in the days in the '80s and '90s, getting barbacoa and menudo, menudo for sure, was yeah. a weekend thing. It was a, like a treat for every restaurant. You have nowadays you can get menudo on a Tuesday. That was unheard of back in the day. You either got it Saturday and definitely on Sunday after church. I'll always remember, you know, we were good. I always, 
okay, going, we're from a small town, so if we got out of church and we took a left, we knew we were getting barbecue and menudo. <laughs> if we took a right, we knew we were going home and eating crap. You know what I mean? So it was kind of cool. So we like, me and my sister, we holding hold our breath, and my dad had the blinker on, and we look, and he's like, going this way. And they're like, yes. And it was bar, it was Tatema, and my dad would buy a pound, and a dozen tortillas, and menudo, and, and that was just the greatest memory in the world. So I wanted to do that here, and I'm also doing tripas and muejas, too. And those are dying arts. I was going to say, not too many people time. are doing tripas. Yeah, tripas. And, and we do it. It's a, it's a three-day process for ours. Just as much as our menudo, it's a, it's a, it's a whole day. And our, like our boya has, uh, he has them on there seven hours in the pit. And then we cool them down. And then we table fry them to get them crispy. We get that smoky flavor. Same thing with our, our, our tripas. We smoke them. We cool them down. Then we put them in the pit. Because then we got to render that fat down again. But you get that smoky flavor. Um, and that's the, one of the tricks my dad would do is he would get them from the diesel at a certain temperature, certain, I guess, consistency, and then he would put them over directly over mesquite coals to render down that fat instead of putting them in new oil and get them crispy. And the, when it hits that wood, those coals, and that, oh, my that God. Sizzle, that sizzle yeah. and yeah, that, that smell. Flavor. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to recreate here. So um, I'm not a Tex-Mex. A lot of people are like, so you're a new Tex-Mex. I'm like, dude, I do not want to be labeled as a Tex-Mex. I do Creole Cajun food sometimes here. I do whatever I want here. Um, it's whatever mood. But Sundays is a tribute to my hometown. That's all it is. You can call it Tex-Mex. You can call it whatever. Yeah, oh, I but, love the hangover special is great. Like I did, like yeah. that's that's something that's that was, that's straight up yeah. Mexican. And yeah. you ask any Mexican what they're gonna have the hangover special. Why? Yeah. Because menudo cures the hangover. Yeah. Large Ooh. menudo, half dozen yeah. tortillas, and a pound a pound of barbacoa. Yeah, <laughs> super fatty food. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, you know that's that that's just basically. Uh, I love my I love I love where I come from and my roots, and that's one of my things that I you know, I attribute to that. So um, call it what you want on Sundays, but the rest of the week I'm Central Texas barbecue. <laughs> So in this in this area of Texas, you know, you're, you're kind of right on the verge of some of the Czech sausage, but you're not far from Luling, you're not far from Lockhart, um, and you're doing house-made sausage here, and that was something that was uh, very determined and very specific by you. Tell us a little bit about sausage, why you're doing it, and what you're doing here. You know, um, I won't tell you who told me this. When I was getting ready to open, I was telling, you know, talking to my close friends that are in the, in the barbecue world and not competition, but restaurants. And I told them, you know, um, you know, they're like, Ernest, we all know you make a great brisket. That's what you're known for. You're part of the, you know, you're the cop over the brisket cartel. He goes, do you want to be a good barbecue joint or do you want to be a great barbecue joint? I'm like, I want to be a great one. He goes, well, you better learn how to make your own sausage. He goes, that's what's going to separate y'all from everybody else. Because if you can actually look at someone in the face and says, I make everything here from scratch, even the freaking sausage. And even though it goes into my three days off, I will do it, and 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 um, there's a certain sense of pride knowing that you make your own stuff here, everything from scratch, and that's our including our sausage. And a lot of people are like, "Dude, he makes his own sausage." Here. It's different than oh, that's a that's a kielbasa or that's a you know a whatever. Oh, they buy it from this place, you know. And and we've had a lot of butcher shops, even locally, very reputable. They, they make great sausage yeah. at, at the butcher shops all, yeah. all around this part of the state. Oh, yeah. Sure. Like yeah, your sausage. Right. Well, they yeah. even said, "Hey, we'll make your own blend." I'm like. To your recipe. Made to your recipe. That's like that was like the famous phrase we heard from every barbecue joint yeah. that didn't make their own sausage. Yeah. It, was, it was made to your recipe. Well, that may all be true, but it's still not your sausage. Exactly. And and there's a labor of love. And um, and I wanted to become a great barbecue joint. At the end of the day, like I said, I'm not 
I've never been in competition with anybody. Even in, in the competition world, it's like, I'm going after Joe Schmo. No, I, was, I wanted to be the best person because I want to leave a legacy for my kids. You know, and, uh, you know, uh, I want to leave a legacy here. I want people to remember that old, fat, 60-year-old man right there saying, <laughs> see that old man? He kicked your ass in competition world and he kicked ass in the barbecue world. There's not a lot of guys that have done both. And I want to be one of the, some of the few. You know, Brett Bourne's one of them. You know, and uh, Brett and I, we've, we've, we've battled a lot. You know, back in the day, and um, yeah, Brett Brett did really well in competition yeah. as well. Yeah, he did, and um, you know, I wanted to do the same, and I, you know, I look and re- respect him very much, but I wanted to do the same thing because at the end of the day, before competition, my dream was to open a barbecue joint, and this is it. You know, I got one chance. That's it. And and that sausage, you're able to kind of make your own, right? And mm-hmm. and as you mentioned, you know, your location, but your influences. I mean, you're right in the heart of some of the most famous sausage in Texas. Yeah. Um, and what we had was kind of a, it, it, it had some, we, we could tell there were some connections to that, but it wasn't just a copy of that, and it right. wasn't a copy. Um, it, it's a little bit unique. Um, anything you can tell us about the process or anything that you're doing? Yeah, so just like you said, we have some of the famous, in, in 30 minutes, 30-minute uh, drive here, you have some of the best sausage in, 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 in Texas. And in 30-minute area. So you, let's just say you got you got Louie, you got Lockhart, and you got Davila's. Davila's makes it hell. And Gonzalez. Gonzalez got some great sausage over yeah, there, yeah. too. And yeah. it's all kind of the same. You got that real, you know, flaky, thicker grind, milly as they call it, uh, sausage. Mm-hmm. Lots of grease. and But who cares? I remember when Ray Lampy came and criticized him and says, the worst sausage in the world. I want to punch him in the teeth in his book. <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong with you, Ray? And so I wanted to make my own in that kind of aspect, but make mine different. You know, I have two different grind textures, and I put a little Latin love in it and uh, made it my own. But um, it sticks out, but it's still good. Everything I make here is not offending. I don't know if, if you understand when I say that. I want people to be like, it was good. You know, because I, if I go over extreme, people be like, oh, my God, it's amazing. Or some people be like, it's too rich. It's just good barbecue. I want you to come back and eat. I want you not to order a quarter pound. I want you to order a pound because you can eat a pound. Same thing with my sausage, it's good. And the way I like it was some mustard. That's why I got little packs of mustard up there. Uh, or my mustard sauce, you know, so um, it's one of those things. Can we highly recommend the mustard sauce? Yeah, no, the mustard sauce yep. is great. You absolutely need to get the mustard sauce, guys. It goes great with the sausage. So yeah, I mean, what you're building here, it's it's still, it's really, from a restaurant standpoint, it's in its infancy. I mean, the, the experience you bring to it is years and years built, but the actual restaurant itself has been open for, is this month five or? Since October, so. Oh, okay, so we're no month. What month are we in? So this is the seventh seven, month. Seven months. Seven months, months, seven months yeah. of Depending on when you listen to this episode. Depending, <laughs> on, depending on when this airs. <laughs> but yeah, no, we're in seven months, which is still very early in a restaurant's right. lifespan. And the fact that you've got this many cylinders clicking already is a really, really promising thing for, for all of us barbecue hounds out there. And obviously, as, as nerdy as people like Brian and I are that go around and travel for it, you're never going to make a living off of people like us coming to eat your barbecue. Right. You're going to make a living off of the people that live within a three mile radius of your right. restaurant and right. and you really have catered to the locals while not dumbing down your food but you've made it approachable and you made it like you said where people want to keep coming back for right. it and that's that's a really smart thing to do from a business standpoint mm-hmm. and and it keeps your food your food where you're not compromising anything you're just making sure that you're serving what your your customers will eat because at the end of the day you're you're a business and you're in the business to earn a living right and the standard of barbecue has been raised here you know, these guys are used to eating certain kind of barbecue 
and I'm not doing anything different. I'm just making it a little bit better. And when they've had my barbecue, they're floored. You know, a lot of them are, you know, thinking, man, I have never had barbecue. Like that. It's nothing crazy. It's just a little bit better than what they're used to. And now it's funny how a small town like this can be so loyal to a barbecue joint and turn so quickly when it came to us. And it's cool to see. It's a very important over. thing yes, is easing yourself is. into the and community because we've seen where, where that hasn't gone well. Right. And, and, and not only that, but the prices. You know, the prices I was afraid they were going to accept. At first, they were shocked, sicker shocked. Whoa. But then they say it, you know, they ate it. And, and what the rumor was in town was that Seguin has, Seguin does not mind paying those prices. If it's good, if it's bad, they're going to never come back. And now I see people here all the time and they accepted me and accepted the price because you know what? Good barbecue is not cheap. And the only thing they, they recommend me, and this is typical small town, they don't like waiting in line. So what are they, they gotten smart. They, get, they, they know on Sundays I open up at 8, and they know I have ribs and brisket usually when I open. So they'll get in line and have menudo and have their little barbacoa taco or whatever, <laughs> and they'll order a pound or two of brisket and a couple of pounds of slabs of ribs before the line. And, and they love it, you know, and uh, uh, they're getting smart. They don't want to wait in line. They're like, Ernie, we'll support you, but those lines on Saturdays and Sundays, no. I don't know how someone can wait. And, you know, you know, today we have people out here at 8.30 in the morning, and I love it. It's like a dream. You know, uh, you know, it's a hardworking dream. I've worked my ass off to get there, but, you know, it's one of those things. You guys here in Seguin, uh, we, we were in Seguin about a year ago um, at stopping at Davila's and just, you know, on our little routes that we go through to San Antonio. And, and it was just, it's nice to see a lot of modern barbecue has opened all across Texas, but not a lot of modern barbecue has really hit small towns. Um, and it's really nice to see a a more modern approach taken to barbecue in these smaller towns. And like, like I said, you, you've dropped today's barbecue in yesterday's world. And it, it's really cool to see it right here in front of the courthouse and, and everything that you're doing here. And it's, it's going to be exciting to watch this place grow and kudos to you guys. It's, it's the future is bright and re- really, really impressed. Absolutely. For people listening, keep your eyes out for uh, dinner specials and other opportunities for, for meals. Uh, but for now, we've got barbecue and we've got um, brunch or Sunday, Sunday breakfast. Brunch, Sunday breakfast. Um, how, what are your hours and where can they find you guys? Um, our hours are Thursday through uh, Thursday through Saturday from 11 to 3 or till sellout. And then on Sundays, we do from 8 to 3 or until sellout. Um, you can reach us at the Burnt Bean on Facebook or Burnt Bean on Instagram where you can find, uh, is it Super Dave still? Yep. Super Dave or Dave Kirkland on Instagram and, and uh, the Pope of Barbecue on Instagram on my myself. So, um, yeah. Awesome, guys. Well, get get out here. If you have not already been out here, get back out here because it's it, the lines aren't going to yeah. get shorter. Yeah, we're, word's <laughs> going to keep getting out. Yeah. And so the sooner the better. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate the time, and we yeah, will talk you with you next time. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank Thanks. you, guys. Viva Barbecue.